electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. starts right now live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, David Seberg, Brian Kelly, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, it is full steam ahead for the crypto craze as Bitcoin takes a break and its biggest rivals surge. So how much is a crypto world worth? It's worth $10 trillion, according to a top analyst at RBC. He'll be here to explain why. Plus, if that wasn't enough, Brian Kelly here is a major crypto announcement to make right here on our show. That'll be later this hour. You will not want to miss it. But first, we start off with Dow, 25,000, a major milestone that even the president had something to say about. We did, in fact, break 25,000, very substantially break it very easily. So I guess our new number is 30,000. Uh, but what, I, what it means is every time you see that number go up on Wall Street, it means jobs, it means success, it means 401ks that are flourishing. It also means Americans are getting richer from the stock market. The S&P 500 opening the year with three straight record closes. This is the first time that's happened since 1964. 54 years ago, for those keeping score, the Dow and the Nasdaq on their own record-breaking rally. So is 2018 shaping up to be the year of the bull? Could it be better than 2017? Just how long can this euphoria on Wall Street last? Guy Adami. I remember 1964 was like yesterday. Yeah, it was yesterday for you. <laughs> and you know, 25, down 25,000 is a big deal. Why? Because people that typically won't be talking about the stock market are now talking about the stock market. People that haven't looked at their 401ks say, hey, what do I own? What's going on here? Maybe they're tuning in for the first time. And I'll tell you, so answer your question, what works? Things that worked at the end of last year, I think, will continue to work. And they come in the form of the financials, the banks, which on a price to book, I still think are cheap. These industrial names like a Boeing, like uh, a Roper, for example, mm -hmm. have done well. I think they continue to do well. And defense stocks, which were on their rear end when President Obama got elected the first time, have now quadrupled. You'll say they're expensive, but you look at a Lockheed Martin, and I still think there's tremendous room to the upside there as well. Somebody out there might be watching CNBC, and they hear strategists who say, you know what, but valuations are very high, historically speaking. They so are. So why should I buy up here at record highs? So the, so the argument for buying up here is that you're going, you have global growth. We've seen global PMIs continue to accelerate. The data that we've gotten here in the U.S. is fine. So while valuations may appear to be, I don't even know if I would call them stretched, let's call them at the high end of the range here on some of these things, you still have to say, okay, but am I, am I going to have economic growth? Not only am I going to have economic growth, but then look at the bond market. Again, what are your alternatives? What would you pay for stocks given this yield environment? And yields are still relatively low. And even if they creep up a little bit, you still have some room here in the stock market. So I've got low yields. I've got a high growth or a growing economy globally. I mean, to me, it sounds actually pretty good for the stocks. The other piece of the puzzle is the earnings part of it. I mean, if earnings estimates have not come up yet they to haven't. reflect tax, they and right. I don't think they have they either, no. No, they haven't. then I mean, that E is going to expand. Well, and, and also, if you think about companies, I, I don't think companies are going to do their best to cheerlead here. I think, if anything, they're going to try to damp down expectations because that's a smart thing to do. And, in fact, um, they're not entirely sure what they're going to see in terms of the demand profile. But if you look at auto sales as any indication, so we know confidence indicators are higher. And I know this was yesterday's story, but have 24 hours to think about 
about those auto sales we had yesterday. And the retail side of it means it was true demand. It wasn't fleet sales. And that the auto companies, which a year ago at this time, we were talking peak autos and, ah, oh, we'll never get above 18 million SARS again. And if anything, those numbers showed you that consumption is alive, inventories are tight. GM's up 8% this year. GM has started the year up 8%. So, by the way, the global trade, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the Nikkei got through all-time highs, got through the, the, the January 1992 high now has been taken out in Japan. And seriously, the reason I bring that up is if you think about emerging markets and you think about Japan, they have not made new highs. Japan is now yeah. making new highs. But if you think about the catch-up trade and how long the tail is on these things, I actually believe that there's a lot more to go in some of those markets which have actually lagged the U.S. You know, we're seeing eye-to-eye tonight. So rare, David. Wow. Very long time. Emerging markets, I agree with. We, we talked about this on the desk today. You look at the upside surprise, the surprise index when it comes to economic data in the U.S., and we've really, since the fourth quarter of the past several months, we've really upsized or, you know, surprised to the upside versus, in a, from a relative perspective, EM and to, to Europe. So you look at it and say the catch-up is going to be EM, I think, really catching up in that. Yeah, scenario. but Larry, so, so but the other, a, the other side really of that trade is that EM, EM does well when money is expanding away from the U.S. and out, right? So we know we still have a Fed that's going to start contracting the money supply. So why wouldn't I want to be here where the money is staying? You're I'm not going to have it I, leak out. Look, I 100% agree with you, but I think for a near-term trade, just like growth value, look at growth and say, right now I think growth is going to outperform value on a relative basis considering the catch-up we've seen from, from the fourth what, quarter. What, is it, what does that mean for it somebody means, at home? Growth versus value. So I don't understand. You want to stay in the Facebooks of the world. You want to stay in the Googles, the big names that have worked from the standpoint of that have the growth. But if you want to put new money set. to work right now, would you say put them in technology, put them in the Facebook? That's up 54% last I'd, I'd, year. I'd much prefer to be in a Facebook, a Google, uh-huh. those names. Over than, an energy, than, let's well, say. An energy name. Energy is, look at where energy is. Energy is, I think, at the, at the top end here, we've got buyers in the desk of energy that are reluctant to put more money to work. If anything, all we're really seeing is short coverings. They so, are the momentum trade over the past month. Well, if, right? you, look, if you look at the down, what performed today was materials were up 2.2 percent and handily beat every other sector. Um, and what's happening in the resource sector? Well, first of all, we're, we're actually at a place where companies that for three or four years spent a lot of time downsizing, trying to restore their balance sheets, getting to a place where they're controlling inventories. Now we have spot prices and a lot of the underlying commodities that are actually going higher. And you have companies that are leaner and meaner than they've ever been. That's something to think about with these names. And those are names that have lagged. And as I like to say about commodities, I'll still say it. You don't buy them when they're cheap. You buy them when they're running and when there's momentum and when there's growth behind them. Tim said that for a while. But so going back to Google or Alphabet, what they call yeah. themselves now, listen, you look at that stock, you say it's expensive. But you know what? It's really not expensive. Trades at 26 times forward earnings. They probably will grow at 31, 32 percent and made an all-time high today, along with many other names, by the way. But if you're looking for value, I mean, as crazy as that might sound, I think Alphabet or G-O-O-G-L provides value in this market right now. I think right that's now. an interesting notion. I'll ask BK that same yeah. question. Value within a growth sector yeah. of technology. I like IBM. That's the one I mentioned oh, the other day. So and, and a dog. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's so much that's a dog. That's not a growth stock. It yeah, well, a listen, dog. it is within a growth sector. That's a value it's trap. Potential. I don't well, know it's if it's a, a value trap. So look, a, look, look at what's happening, though. Wait a second. Look at what's Come happening on. with IBM. You've got RBC just came out the other day with an upgrade. You now have everybody else who's going to start following along. It looks to me as though it's bottomed. They have a lot of growth areas in this space. It has been a turnaround story. So if I look and say, okay, what is the news everybody knows? Everybody knows Facebook's doing well. Everybody knows that Google's doing well. Where's the surprise going to come? IBM. Well, I, I think I, the, the reason you're buying IBM here, I appreciate the contrarian in you, BK, and I said this two days ago when you said it, and the stock's probably moved 4% since then, so good for you. Um, I ultimately think that, that IBM has a lot to prove for a company that really, for a decade, was, was, right. was 
financially engineering numbers. I'm not Buying saying anything naughty. Shares. I'm right. just saying they were doing yeah. what they could to keep this company chugging along when, in fact, they were finding no way to grow. And in the software business and the security business, I do believe they have put some... Some, some flags in the ground to grow on. But just because this is, see, Cisco is the opposite. I think Cisco is cheap, and I think Cisco is a real company with a real business and right here and now. Right. Infrastructure build-out and technology is all coming with all of this CapEx. This stock is cheap to its peers. I'll throw one out of cheap, Intel. I think Intel should be bought aggressively, even though even we saw, even with the security flaw, that will be plugged up and fixed. We saw this in Equifax, and I mean, that's even a worse scenario. And remember what I said in Equifax, the solution's going to occur. It's not a detrimental scenario to their model. Why wouldn't you want to own the two hottest areas out there right now in tech? AI and blockchain. That's what but IBM I, is. I, I get it, but IBM's got legacy businesses. They're not, they have okay. zero growth in their uh, model. Oh, but that's the to growth. Be, to that's... be fair, the upgrade from RBC the other day cited the legacy mainframes as spurring another cycle, a right. mainframe cycle, which will also lead to software and services revenue. Right. They actually said the so legacy look business at Facebook, was a good thing. Growing no, no, listen, I, I have not liked IBM for years. A long and time. Collectively, I think we've been, we've been right. But I've got to tell you, the last quarter in IBM was shockingly decent. Uh, yeah. And so you have to ask yourself, to BK's point, do people want to sell IBM into January? January 18th when they report next mm -hmm. with the potential to build upon what was a pretty good quarter because right. if they do instead of being a hundred and sixty one dollar stock where it currently is you're probably back to that 182 level so I'm sorry I hear what Tim is saying I'm with BK but, but, in this but again if, if you want to go for high quality here um, it's a new year I know people want to try to reinvent themselves you don't have to necessarily find a new idea find right. the ideas that make sense find the companies that have the growth you can make an argument that on a peg ratio Facebook's pretty attractive mm -hmm. peg meaning your price over your earnings growth. Um, this is a company that's you know, trading you know, roughly 40 times. It's a company that's probably growing around that time, too. So, I mean, I, I think that's very interesting. And, and, and quickly, I think if you look at the broader market, I, I, you have to pay attention to the things that have underperformed that make sense here. And that to me, includes telco and some of the utilities plays, which have to be part of every portfolio. People want to sell these things down, but I think they, they deserve a look. What did you do today, just quickly? Uh, well, for me, it was it was IBM. That was the play. I mean, that you know, that's what we mentioned earlier. And to me, I think it just has the most upside. So you go with that. I hear Tim on the on the you know AT and T and Verizon, those type of names. If you want to get some yield, probably not a bad place to be. What'd you do today? Bought some EEM, and I, yeah. I bought some cannabis names in the weakness. Cannabis names. AutoNation, if you want to play the second derivative of the auto trade that Tim said, AutoNation's had a decent run, but I think in valuation, probably 12 times forward earnings, probably grows at 13% or so. I think AN, that's BK's Mike Jackson. Mm -hmm. He yeah, talks Mike about it all the time. Yeah. 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 He's leading indicator. Coming up, General Electric with a shocking start to the new year. The stock is up 6% in the past three days. Is its long national nightmare behind it or any of the traders buying this move? Plus, $10 trillion, that's how much one Wall Street analyst says the crypto universe is worth. The man behind this bold call, Mitch Steves of RBC, will be here to explain how he got that number. And later, the Trump administration putting the kibosh on pot, and some high-flying stocks are going up in smoke. But Tim oh, Seymour, who has never inhaled, <laughs> yeah, says now might be the time to get it. He'll tell us the name he bought today when Fast Money returns. <laughs> Welcome back to Fast Money. Do not adjust your TV. 
GE shares are on fire this week, and that kicks off our top trades. The industrial giant surging more than 6% in the first three trading sessions of the year. That's uh, tops in the Dow and is on pace for its best weekly performance since November 2016. Now, 2017, of course, tough year for GE as the stock plunged 45% and in the year as the worst-performing Dow stock. So is this the beginning of a GE turnaround? Guy? No. And thanks oh, for pulling wow. it out. That was 2017, GE started at $32, a bottom wow. at 17 and a quarter. We're 18 and a half now. Great. I mean, you could say it's just maybe maybe we had a bounce from here. But then you look at it and say, wait a second, GE is trading close to 18 times forward earnings. They have literally zero EPS growth. Why are you paying a premium valuation for that company when names like Honeywell trade at a maybe a little bit of a premium, but they grow? So could the stock bounce with the rest of the tape? Maybe, but they're better places to be than GE. Well, GE so owner. Here, yeah, GE owner, um, around 8% higher and, and very comfortable owning it here because I think, you know, what are some of the things that can happen in 2018? One includes a, a, a Baker Hughes either, you know, valuation accretion back to GE. That could be through a spin-out. That could be just the energy sector continuing to revalue. They top-ticked on this one, folks. And, and But to say that it's worthless is, is to totally miss the boat. And that really is what I think is the issue with GE. This is still a massive company with massive investment, with massive um, technology and trademark and intellectual property. And, yeah, they may earn a buck twenty. Uh, they don't deserve a high valuation, yeah. but to me, very comfortable owning this name at this valuation, and that's what's going on here. I think people realize the perceptions on this company are as low as they could they be. They got like no free, 92 cents in free cash flow, 93 cents in free, free cash flow. This stock is a $17 stock at best. It's dead money. I wouldn't be investing in this. It's, I mean, it, there's so many other places to put your money right now. GE is not one of them. They've got to divest all sorts of businesses that they made terrible investments in. This is a stock that there's just so many other places in this market right now that's screaming to new highs to invest your all money. All right, so let's at least, you know, we're talking GE, so let's go to the other side of this. I mean, there's no question that if you gave management, Mr. Flannery, an opportunity to kitchen sink it, he will take it. He did take it. There's no question that at 105 a share, which is where the street is on 2018 earnings, um, they didn't leave themselves, I don't think, a lot of room to miss. I could be wrong, but I think that bar is as low as it goes. And when I look at the broader business, um, they've, they've streamlined. They've decided we're not right. going after all these, these, these far-flung businesses. I think the energy we business don't know is what one the, that they, we don't know they're what getting the, a hold what of. what it's really going to look like at the end of the right. day, do we? Well, no. and and no, that's, I mean, that's the no issue, that's right? The problem? And that's just... the overwhelming concern. Investors need to have clarity on that. Turning the ship is like turning the Millennium Falcon. It's incredibly difficult I, to get it to You know what? I, I'll even go so far as, I, listen, I don't think you get hurt in GE, and I understand Tim's, uh, Tim's rationale on this, but I would say you have to have the same type of faith to buy GE as you do type of as Tesla. You have to believe that some point what? in the future, yes, wow, I, that this I, is going to be a transformed company. No, Tesla. Well, listen, the I reason mean, why I, you I'd buy like Tesla, it, but no, I don't I, agree the reason that. why you buy Tesla is because you think five to ten years down the line, it's going to be not just a car company, but it's going to have, it's going to uh, uh, disrupt the electric grid. But there's so a, that's there's something a path, to do. There's a path GE, to you have to think the same thing, that they're going to be able to do something that they're not doing today. So you have to have difference. the same type of there's faith. There's a path to growth. There is something exactly in a business plan they've outlined that's their path to growth. GE doesn't have that yet. Well, they have no clue. You have to believe that they're going to come up with one. You have so to that's why it. it's the same type of faith But it's not the same because we have an idea of what yeah. Elon Musk, as you have said so eloquently in terms of changing the way... I have said it eloquently. Thank you. Well, sometimes. In terms of changing the way we get energy to our homes, for instance, 
instance, Elon Musk has a vision. I don't right. know what GE's vision is uh, using the parallel that you're using. True. I, I guess so. I guess I'm talking more about you have to, I mean, listen, GE's not going away. So you have to think that they're going to figure it out. So if you're buying GE, my point is you have to have that same type of faith that they are going to come up with a path to growth. That's a big leap. Seaberg lost <laughs> me. Millennial, what is it? Millennium, Millennium Falcon. Falcon. Can I give a Star they Wars pitch here around for Brian Falcon in the, in the Snowman was an interesting yeah. movie. Good movie. Yeah. That was yeah. Sean, yeah. Sean Penn. Penn. Yeah, right. sure. Do you have a point about GE or no? I made my point at the top. All right, that's it. Okay. I'm going to say it again. I can do the whole thing. Yelling at me. Memory. Still ahead. It was a record Christmas shopping season, so why are a number of retail stocks getting slammed today? The Chartmaster has the answer, and if you own any of these names, you may not like it. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money here on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Are you a pothead, Falker? No. No. What? No, 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 Jack. No, I'm, I'm not. I, I pass on grass. And so does Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who's cracking down on legal marijuana and causing havoc for a number of pot stocks. But Tim Seymour says now's the time to get in the weeds, and he'll give us the name. Plus, how much do you think the whole crypto space is worth? One million dollars. Nope. According to a top brokerage firm, it's more like ten trillion dollars. Yeah, whoa. And the man behind that call will be here to explain how he got to that number and the currency that will lead the way when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Wall Street's love affair with all things crypto is picking up steam. So just how big is the crypto market? So big that the co-founder of Ripple, a leading digital currency, is now richer than Mark Zuckerberg. Our Bob Pisani is live at the NYSE breaking down the latest on the Bitcoin boom. Bob. Hello, Melissa. It's changing. So how big is the cryptocurrency market? Well, it's getting bigger, but it's not because Bitcoin's getting big, bigger. Bitcoin may still be the king of the cryptocurrency hill, but it's been fairly quiet in the last few weeks, while the upstarts have made impressive gains in the past month and even this past week. So look at this. Ripple and Ethereum combined are now almost 85% of the market capitalization of Bitcoin. That's a huge change from a while ago. And the total market cap of the top 100 cryptocurrencies now roughly $686 billion. Who boy, that's a big jump from even a few months ago. But it's still small compared to the broader market. And this is the way I like to look at it. So, for example, the small cap Russell 2000 stock market is a market cap of about $2.5 trillion. So cryptocurrencies are only one-fourth the size of the small-cap stock market. And it's way below the $25 trillion value for the S&P 500, the roughly $38 trillion value of the U.S. bond market. It's even way below the value of all the gold in the world, which is currently maybe a little more than $7 trillion. So the big issue is this. How big will federal and state regulators allow these cryptocurrencies to become before they step in with even more regulation? Back to you, Melissa. My guess is you start seeing two, three, four, five trillion dollar valuations. That's going to be a trigger. All right, Bob, thank you. Bob Bassani at the New York Stock Exchange. Well, Wall Street firm RBC is so bullish on the crypto craze that it is calling it a $10 trillion opportunity. Yeah, you heard me right. Ten trillion dollars. Let's bring the man behind that bold call. Mitch Steves of RBC Capital. He joins us now from San Francisco. Mitch, great to have you with us. Hey, nice having me. Nice having me. Thank you. Uh, Ten trillion dollars is an eye popping <coughs> number. So can you kind of explain how you came up with that number? What percentage of that ten trillion dollar is 
cryptocurrencies and how much of it is sort of the, the related ecosystem around blockchain and crypto? So I think the vast majority is actually on the ecosystem. So what I'm trying to describe in that report is essentially creating a decentralized world computer. Uh, so I think what people misunderstand about the cryptocurrency space is it's not just a store of value, which I think you guys have done a very good job of covering, but it also allows you to, to secure the Internet. So essentially now, right now, we trust third-party providers such as iCloud or Dropbox to hold our uh, storage and photos and things like that. But in the future, we'll be able to do this for free, essentially, by using something like a file coin or a different type of coin, whatever it's going to be called. And so essentially that market, you're starting to, you're starting to approach IT spending. And so when I think about that market as well as the store value, which alone is already a $30 trillion TAM, if we include the amount of money that's held in overseas banking, uh, we get to a very small number of $10 trillion, which is basically 33% of just the store value use case. I think the example in your report about Dropbox is a, is a very interesting one because most people can relate to that. The notion that Dropbox is centralized because the, anybody with access to the Dropbox servers actually has access to your data that you're storing on Dropbox, whether it be photos or files or, or what have you. Um, and this could really decentralize it in that no longer will that person with access to that server have access to your information. How... How Correct. fast can we see this ramp? Because Im implicit in this call of this decentralized information is sort of a displacement of a lot of other companies and business models out there, like a Dropbox. Right, exactly. So th that's why you see a lot of companies not really interested in talking or investing in the space, because they're going to essentially become a node in the network at long term, right? So I think that my $10 trillion call is obviously a multi-year call, call it 10 to 15 years or something like that. And we'll see a lot of ups and downs as many of these decentralized applications will essentially be worthless. But when we think about the blockchain, at least the one thing that the bulls and bears can agree on is we have a, a you know, $7 trillion or $700 billion market that has never been hacked. So what people are now doing is they're building on top of that network, and that increases the value tremendously because now we've built a new level of the Internet. That's why they call it the Web 3.0 that will not be hackable. So now you are able to not only get rid of kind of the middleman in the center, but you're also able to monetize that through uh, the coin network, essentially. Hey, Mitch, it's Brian Kelly. So um, interesting report that you came out with today because Mark Zuckerberg came out today and talked about decentralized computing. How vulnerable mm -hmm. is somebody like Facebook to this phenomenon, to a decentralized world computer? I wouldn't say they're really vulnerable, right, because they have a different ecosystem and that's uh, covered by a different analyst at RBC. But I would say that uh, the decentralized network in general is going to be a very big topic because you can essentially now have anybody have secure computing, right? So I think that's a very big topic. So a good example I give you on a, from a social media perspective is Twitter, right? So we had a rogue employee take down the president of the United States' Twitter account because he was upset when he left, right? So while that's funny and humorous to some people, we have to ask ourselves, why are we putting ourselves that, in that situation in the first place? So if we can get rid of the middleman in that case, now we've created a secure layer for everybody to get value out of. Um, another part of your report is the whole mining asset, aspect of it and, and the computer uh, chip companies, the chip companies that, that specialize in these mining chips. But in terms of investing in publicly traded companies now, Mitch, are there ways to invest now or is it simply too early? Is, is really the cryptocurrency itself the best pure play way? 
So the best pure play way is certainly just getting involved in the cryptocurrency space, because at the end of the day, if you're going to invest in something related, you have to go the mining route. So AMD and NVIDIA chips are used to mine cryptocurrencies called Ethereum, Monero, Bitcoin Gold, not Bitcoin, um, and several other currencies, while an ASIC is being used to mine Bitcoin. So if you want to be very specific and try to get exposure to the mining aspect, there's definitely ways to do that. But from a public company perspective, the way we have to think about this in terms of the bigger picture is we're rebuilding the Internet. So if we're rebuilding the Internet, what does that mean for compute, for networking equipment and for all these other technology devices that we have today? It means the demand is going to increase for that uh, across the board. What does it also mean for the companies like a Dropbox or, or equivalent publicly traded companies like a Dropbox? Because this is going to mean dislocation of these companies. Yes, they're going to see significant competitive pressure now because essentially people are going to decide, do I want my storage to be centralized or do I want it to be decentralized? And I think this is going to be a very big topic over the next several years because now it seems like people are starting to understand the difference between protocols like an Ethereum or a Lisk or a EOS or a Cardano and realize that that's not the same thing as the currency aspects like a Bitcoin or a Litecoin and things like that. So I think Wall Street's waking up to that. And so companies with centralized computing or centralized storage are going to have to adapt to the new ecosystem so if they succeed in scaling. Cloud companies, sure. so for instance? cloud companies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So cloud companies would definitely be impacted by this. All right. Mitch, thank you. Fascinating report. Mitch Steves of RBC, $10 trillion opportunity for the ecosystem, including yeah. the cryptocurrencies. Well, I mean, great job by Mitch, because you know, what we're seeing unfolding before our eyes is, is not only the education of the broader investor into, you know, the, these aren't even subtleties, right, Brian? I mean, you have a massive difference between the platform themselves and obviously the underlying tokens themselves and, and how they actually have usage. So, so far we've been speculating in things that largely people are not actually utilizing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would say 90% of the people that are investing in crypto in any form are probably nowhere near a transaction in crypto. Um, and, and ultimately this is a concept. And, and so, you know, this really helps understand <clears throat> why these while these value chains are being created. Yeah, I think what's also interesting is the, you know, differentiating essentially the cryptos from the actual companies that have an actual platform. You look at Ethereum. Ethereum's an amazing company, probably the best one to own right now, but there are disrupting companies that are on the, you know, that are called cryptos like BlockTicks, which are basically selling concert tickets that have authentication, which is amazing. So I look at those companies as a big disruptors, in my opinion. Right, and you think about all the other companies whose business models were built right. on, on, on centralized, centralized so information. So about, think about Google. Right? I, I didn't understand this whole decentralized internet until I thought about it in this particular way. If I came to your house every day and looked at all the pictures in your house, walked out, and then the Great very date. next day sent a salesperson to your house and knocked on your door and said, hey, I saw you so I had a picture of fishing. Do you want to buy a fishing pole? You'd say that's insane, right? But with the internet and Google, we allow them to do that every single day. So this is a way that you don't have to do that. So I think in the longer run, Google could even be threatened. Although Guy probably buys that fishing yeah, pole, that, right? Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, and somebody goes to his house, too. He bought a of encyclopedia. He's laughing because he knows he actually you bought one last night. Yes, I knew it was going to snow. I figured, well, you know, get ready for the spring. Sweet laugh. Right, to that point, basic attention is a company that is going to allow you to monetize, essentially, your value from a marketing perspective, from a, from an advertising perspective. Those are companies that will disrupt a Facebook or nice a Google metaphor, or Nice metaphor, BK. I like that. Th thanks. Yeah, that, yeah. That's is this where BK oh. makes this big announcement? No, that's, no, that's no. Less later on. Yeah. Kudos to Steve Grasso, by talking about overstock winners in the 20s. They can get traded 72 today. I still think in my opinion, I think Chicago Mercantile Exchange, you asked me, is it a Bitcoin or a cryptocurrency play? Yeah. It's not. But 
that's the cherry on top for a very significant business, CME. All right. Still ahead, more Bitcoin. Our very own crypto baller here, BK. Brian Kelly has a very special announcement to make. He's doing something he has never done before, and that includes his time in college. That's later in the show. Plus, wow. retail stocks tanking today after holiday sales numbers had investors hitting the sell button. And the chart master sees even more pain ahead for the space. And one of those names right there, he'll break it down when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. It was a record holiday season for retailers, but some names in the space getting left out in the cold. Courtney Reagan's at the NYSE to break down what is behind this retail wreck. Hi, Court. Hi there, Melissa. So by many accounts, it was the best holiday season in a number of years, with November sales particularly strong from what we've heard. And that was sort of a reversal of the dour retail sentiment that we saw for most of 2017, which sent the XRT higher by about 15 percent in the last two months of the year. But now, as retailers start to release those holiday results today and in the days to come, investors so far haven't been so impressed, partly because there are still some big secular issues with the group that weren't fixed over the holidays and partly because of that two-month retail rally that we've already seen for shares. So Macy's comparable sales in November and December did rise 1.1%. That's the first positive holiday sales result for the retailer since 2014. But the department store does still expect that comps will fall between 2 and 2.3% for the full year. Macy's did also increase its full-year earnings forecast and go ahead and name those 11 stores that it's closing as part of the 100-store closure program that it announced in 2016. So so Macy's share, shares ended the day down more than 3%, but they had been down about 7% at one point in the session. Over the last two months, though, for context, Macy's shares have gained 33%. So JCPenney's holiday sales, those improved more than 3%, leading the company to reaffirm its full-year forecast. But shares did end down slightly today but also had been down about 7% at one point in this session. The department store shares had gained about 54% since early November. So again, part of that run-up. Now, no holiday results yet from Nordstrom or Kohl's, but both of those department store shares fell in sympathy today with the broader department store group. L Brands just released those December comps. Remember, they released those monthly. Those grew 1%. That was slightly below the street's consensus. L Brands also giving some disappointing margins and disappointing earnings guidance. Shares shed 12%. Those two, though, have gained almost 20% since its last earnings report. And lastly, Sears continues to close those stores today, identifying 100 Kmart and Sears stores that it's going to close between March and April. They've closed 350 stores last year, so those store closures just continue. And I think we all kind of know the fate. We just don't exactly know when. Melissa. All right, Court. Thank you. Courtney Reagan at the NYSC. I go to Tim here. Um, what did you make of the move here in Macy's in particular? Well, I mean, you can't be surprised after that move. Yeah. And, and let's be clear. I mean, this is still a company that's got structural challenges that aren't going to change overnight. And, and in fact, they're still closing stores, as, as Courtney pointed out. Um, half the savings that they get from, from the tax bill are going to essentially be chewed up by store closings. But, but if you think about that they adjusted up to the high end of the range on EPS and on revenues, this is good. And, and ultimately, we're at a case here where I think it's a very different run company than it was a year ago. This has nothing to do with real estate. But to say that you want to be bullish at the stock at 25 bucks, I think is actually wrong. This was about uh, a stock that was overtraded. And remember, uh, the entire retail sector has outperformed the S&P by 15 percent since the lows in November. Um, we've had a big run here, folks. And, and some of these businesses are better than others. I am, you know, I have a small position in Macy's at this point. I have no problem holding on, although, you know, I'm not falling in love with it. Minor pullback or a, rever a reversion think, to I, the downtrend. I don't think it's a reversion. I don't think 
think it's a reversal. I know uh, huh. Carter Worth is going to come on and say something else, maybe. But I'd say this. J.P. Morgan just raised their numbers for Target. So I understand that the space got smoked today. But the space got smoked after what Tim just pointed out and Courtney pointed out was a pretty ridiculous run. So I still think there's some runway left in Target and maybe still with JWN. All right. Despite retail stocks getting wrecked today, the chart master says the nightmare is far from <laughs> over for the group. Carter Worth is at the plaza to break I'm going to go with Carter. the guy who just used the word smoked. As a trader on a desk for many years, he knows when you drop and gap on heavy volume, like four and eight fold increase, not good. I think it's not good. Let's look at a few stats and figures and try to figure out the way forward. Uh, the XRT, it's a great ETF for anyone who wants to trade and not be stuck with one name. The beauty of it is it's equal weight. It's got Amazon. It's got Facebook. I mean, not Facebook, excuse me. I mean, it's things like JCPenney and Macy's. It's got them all. Uh, 88 names, 1.8 trillion market cap, 7% of the S&P. Let's look at some charts and uh, try to figure out whether this is good or bad. So what we know is we've got a five-fold increase. I mean, you're talking about 10 to 50. Yeah, there's no debating that. But that's excessive. How excessive? Well, what it was was a great trend and a great break in trend. So a five bagger that then ever since, basically the last two and a half years, has been stalled. Now, I want to key in on this level. Here we go. Take away the long-term trend line and put in the new trend line. What's happened here is we've rallied consistently, next chart, and we have failed. One, two, three. It touched to the penny and backed away in the context of the news of today and, and recent days. All right. Here's the up close. Again, I'm making the bet that we have failed on the line, on the line, and we failed again on the line. And I want to make the bet that we're going to go back about 8%. Hold this in context. You could say, but wait a minute. The market itself is way up here. Why would I want to get short something that's underperforming? Is it underperforming? This tells you the whole story. This is XRT way ahead of the market. This is the prior bull market peak in 07. It's not... It's still got so much room to give back. It's way in excess of the S&P. All right. Now let's talk about the, the sort of the, the crime of the day. This is the, the one that got hurt the most, down 12%. What we know is over a two-year period, you decline 65%. And over a four-month period, you rally 80%. And then... What did it do today? Watch the next chart. It gaps down right to that line. Right here. There's the little trade, and it stopped on that line. Not random. Charts matter. Trends matter. The question is, do you buy it for a bounce off line if it had come down quietly? But it didn't. It dropped and gapped. Massive volume, 20 million versus four. Something's wrong. Stay away from this thing. Carter, come on over. Scared. I know, yeah, I'm scared too. Yeah, I mean, captivated. Carter's yeah, not a scared guy either. So, man. And, you, and you, you're on a trading desk, too. Yeah. What do you think about that, actually? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you on the XRT. I'm a seller here. I think the sector is a tradable sector. It's not an investable sector right now. The secular headwinds are just way too strong. But I agree. We saw I mean, guys... There are good ones, yeah. like Dollar Tree acts pretty yeah. well, or DG. Yeah. But, I mean, when you drop and gap, as Macy's did, as this one did, as Buckle did, yeah. it's not typically a give back as it is a reset, which undermines the very premise in the first place that it's bottomed. Yeah. Tim, so, well, Connor, I guess my question on an L brands would be, you know, you, you had it break above that trend line before today. We got back to that line. H what makes you confident that this is really the place where it now breaks below? Because if anything, sure. maybe we say everything was going against L brands and noticeably and understandably right. it priced it in and then the, made a move. The, I think the first thing, not to not answer your question, and I will, is isn't it fascinating that it stopped at the line? Like if one was sitting around looking at their DCF model and their enterprise value EBITDA and their dividend discount model, like, hmm, it breaks above the line, stops right back at the line. 
Let's it's talk about that. It's part of that voodoo of the chart that you live in. Right, what algorithms know and big quant machine and so forth. So the issue is having gapped down right to that line, is that a reference point? Surely, because it broke above it and it revisited. Now the question is, does it hold? Because of the way it came down, the drop and gap, my thinking is that it doesn't hold, that it's the beginning of trouble, not a point at which you buy for a rebound. Well, would you, where, which way would you go? No, I mean, Dan Nathan has said on this show that, didn't he say the XRT is the... Worst chart in the world. Worst chart in, in the, the universe, world. universe, maybe. Although he said it for three months. And, and, you That's know, true. And he was the rally, yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and this isn't a beat on Dan. Dan has acknowledged that. But I think Carter's point was very powerful because Carter's pointing out a trend that goes back to 2008. This is the one thing people miss, is that retail, for all that it's maligned and it should be for secular headwinds, it massively outperformed right, massively. most of the way of this I bull mean, market. Right. And so giving back here or, or over the last three, two, three years is perfectly normal. So, Cardi, you did a lot with trend lines there. But when I look at a lot of these retail names, I see some of the moving averages, 200, 100 day, starting to trend up. So as an technical analyst, when do you say the 200 day moving average or the moving averages are more important than the trend line? Well, they're often the same thing. That is, the, if you think about what is a moving average, it's an automated trend line. Rather than drawing a line yourself, you try to add up a number of days, and that's all. The moving averages are slow to turn. They're just trend lines that are automated, so you don't have to stay up all night doing it by pencil, which I used to do, sadly. That's a good time, Matt. Yeah, yeah. that yeah. sounds You're wild. Exciting guy back in the right. day. Well, He's yeah. not an insurance <laughs> contractor. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Carter. Thank you. Carter Worth. Still ahead, pot stocks taking a hit today on a potential crackdown in Washington. These stocks have been flying high, so to speak, but are they about to go oh. up in smoke? Oh. And if you're keeping score at home, that's three pot puns in a row. Plus, our resident Bitcoin expert Brian Kelly's got a big crypto announcement to make. This is the Bitcoin equivalent of a LeBron James decision. <laughs> he will goodness. tell us what it is and give us all the details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The White House cracking down on federal pot laws just days after California legalized recreational marijuana use. Let's get to Kayla Tausche in D.C. with the very latest. Hi, Kayla. Hi, Melissa. Despite eight states in Washington, D.C. legalizing marijuana, a memo from Attorney General Jeff Sessions today firmly reiterated marijuana is against federal law. The one-page directive is based on the Controlled Substances Act and statutes against money laundering, from which the DOJ says Congress concluded, quote, marijuana is a dangerous drug and that marijuana activity is a serious crime, end quote. Effective immediately, the Sessions memo reverses orders from the Obama administration beginning in 2009 for federal prosecutors to shift resources away from marijuana-related offenses. Senior DOJ officials told reporters today that they wouldn't answer any questions about whether companies who grow, dispense, or sell the drug are being put on notice. They said they won't discuss the economics of the issue. That said, whatever Congress passes, they said the department would follow. Lawmakers from states where marijuana is legal are already striking back. Senator Cory Gardner, a Republican from Colorado, said he would move to stall nominations for Justice Department nominees, and he spoke out about the impact on the industry. They're under, operating now under a cloud of uncertainty. Thousands of jobs at risk, millions of dollars in revenue, and certainly the question of constitutional states' rights, very much at the core of this discussion. The DOJ says U.S. attorneys will now have discretion over which cases to bring. The U.S. attorney for Colorado said today there will be no change 
to its existing policy. Melissa? All right, Kayla, thank you. Kayla Tausche in D.C. Well, many of the pot stocks, as you can imagine, which trade both here and in Canada, taking a hit off the potential policy change, but these names have been smoking. In the past Whoa. month, Kronos Group soaring 139%, Emerald Health up 118%, Insys Therapeutics surging 92%, while Aurora Cannabis and Canopy Growth both moving higher by about 80%. Um, Tim, you actually own some of the names. Own some of the names. I sit as an advisor for a, a biopharma cannabis play. Uh, I, I believe in the industry, and I believe that Jeff Sessions has said this over and over again. Now, I mean, if you think about it, it spoils down on the, on the state level. The attorney generals in every one of these states, especially California, have been very outspoken um, in favor of, and their states are developing an enormous amount of revenue from these. I, I'm hearing some sound effects right now. Maybe it's just in my ear. Is that ear. like a toilet flushing? Um, I, I, I can't, I can't <laughs> speak to it. What is that? It's but, a but turkey gobbling. What's, what's fascinating about the move in the cannabis stocks is not only did it coincide with the legalization of recreational use in California, which is probably a 5 to $6 billion market, but it coincided, certainly has coincided with the move in crypto. And if you think about everything we just heard about and the criminalization and the federal element of this is really moving money around and where a lot of U.S. cannabis plays actually have some risk um, is related to that and why the industry is literally being starved in the United States and why the bigger plays are in Canada where it, 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 recreational isn't fully legalized but medical is fully legalized so and the feds can't do anything about it. Isn't it so there's an important distinction. When you're t looking at some of these companies, do you want to be invested in companies that are compliant with federal law, so maybe the ones in Canada versus here in the United States, because until there is some clarity here, you're always going to have this cloud. I think you? the barn door is open. I think the, the cloud overhanging after Meaning today's commentary. Meaning the industry has started. I, I, and I, 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 I off to the no, no barn, <laughs> no cloud. The fact is, the barn door is open, and and the animals are out of the barn. I mean, this is an industry that is in full force gear. We're just waiting for regulation right. to sort of open up a little bit here. So the facts are the facts. This is not a gateway drug. We see that. We know that. That's what we, Jeff Sessions, by the way, has called. He's marijuana. called it. It's right. Look at opi opioid addictions. It's been proven. Look at California, uh, Colorado when they legalized marijuana for adults. You saw a 6% decrease in opioid deaths. I mean, they're looking to combat that. So there's so many things that are that are at tailwinds, if you will, for this sector. I look at it and say, buy the weakness aggressively. Well, this is, this is yeah. the, what's the but, water noise? Well, I, 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 don't, I don't know what sound we're trying to emulate here. I, 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 I definitely would not know. I would, I would not know. Melissa thought it was uh, a toilet. It sounds like a toilet. Yeah. But I don't understand that relation. Anyway. I think they're saying that's where um, your life will go if you do drugs. Just say no. Okay. Well, options traders are betting one hot pot stock is about to cool off. Mike Coe's out in Tampa, Florida, where things are looking a little bit trippy as the melodious sounds of Peter, Paul, and Mary fill the air. Well, hey, dude. Hi there. So, you know, it's probably not the first name you would think of when you're thinking about pot stocks. SMG, Scott's Miracle Grow, actually is a business that has been focusing on this sector. The CEO of the company, Jim Hagedorn, had actually said that he hoped that they would earn 20% of their revenues by 2020 from hydroponics, which happens to serve that industry. Options traders didn't like the news that they saw today. 10 times the average volume, 40 times the average put volume, and where we saw most of the activity was the January 100 puts, over 1,500 of those traded for about 30 cents. So that would be a bet that the stock would fall another 7% plus by January expiration. But I'm kind of with the guys on the desk on this one. This is a company that trades 23 times earnings, and eventually this business probably is going to take off. These guys are poised to benefit from that, and it's probably not a bad way to play the space. Is he does he see what's going on behind the kaleidoscope? I like it. It's a kaleidoscope. This looks just like Chinese restaurant. I, yeah, I had the same setup in my dorm room, actually. <laughs> yeah. I bet you did. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Mike. Mike Coe.
I don't know you where know, that's he so, is. What was the year you, what did we start this show with, 1964? I bet you that song was, that was like 64. released in Peter, Paul, and Mary? Yeah, we right got there. around yeah, there. I don't know. That's a horrible oh, song. Wow, Gene, that means you're right. It's a great song. Now, why are they doing It's a terrible song. Anyway, for more options, actually, check out the full show tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, the moment we've been waiting for, BK's big crypto announcement. We've got all the details when Fast Money returns. We interrupt this program for a special news bulletin. That's right. We've got a very special announcement. Our resident Bitcoin expert, BK Brian Kelly, is launching a suite of crypto ETFs. BK, this is very exciting stuff, so why don't you it explain is. it? Yeah, I mean, contrary to my friend Charlie, who just asked me if I was Satoshi Nakamoto, I am not the one who created Bitcoin. But this is exciting because you, you have not been able to get into this space very easily. It's been hard. It's a bit cumbersome. So we're going to launch a suite of ETFs that are going to give exposure to the entire ecosystem. So across multiple different asset classes, RBC's talking about the fact that you know, we're now looking at a new asset class and it's going to start disrupting some of the equities that we talk about every day. So these sweeties at ETS will allow you to get exposure to that to this very easily. You'll be able to do it in a U.S. brokerage account. You'll be able to do it, hopefully, just one click and be in and create a crypto portfolio for yourself. All right. We will be watching this. All right. Very, very exciting. Good. Okay. Very exciting. Up next, final trade. Final trade time, Tim. We talk emerging markets. What mentioned one last night. Southeast Asia, Malaysia, EWM, very undervalued. Seaberg. Once again, Tim and I are on the same page. EEM, emerging markets, I think, outperforms over the near term over U.S. Brian Kelly. I mean, this might be, we're going to do triples here. EWZ, Brazil, there's what? an emerging market one for you. Wow, very yeah. international. You know, BK here. has been at the, he's been at the forefront at the of this crypto market. Yes, not, not for months, years. Years. It has I mean, I think just a, can we give a uh, fast money? Sure. Concentrated pretty well today. Stop, David. We don't have any time. <laughs> I'm Alyssa Lee. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at five for more fast money. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.